You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm here as always with David Ramil. And Pat Riley has got a lot to say about a lot of things. And David, we're just going to kind of break it down one by one here. Um, Riley talked with reporters this week. He's talked about the Miami's small forward position, Dion Waiters, Miami's standing in the Eastern Conference, a whole lot of things with the roster and the cap and just free agency. Just so much to dive into. So we're just going to kind of roam around these comments and uh, break them down, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and a great piece by a uh, friend of the program, Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald. He kind of breaks down some of these points there. But based on our own interpretation and everything else, it's it's worth diving into because Riley isn't exactly always the most expressive. He talks with media at the end of the season and kind of gave an overview of how he felt this offseason would go. But now that it's kind of wound down a little bit, we get to hear his opinion on you know, free agency and, and how to look forward to the upcoming season. So it's, it's worth diving into. And he, he does seem to be pretty high-spirited about the whole offseason, despite not getting Gordon Hayward. Uh, yeah. And, and, I mean, just in the first point here, he, uh, uh, Barry Jackson said he asked Pat Riley if if Miami was a top-four seed in a very um, – in not such a competitive Eastern Conference anymore because guys like Paul George and Jimmy Butler, they've, of course, gone to the Western Conference – and Riley said, yeah, I think uh, they should be competing for that, thinking in those terms. Um, Cleveland's got issues. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Boston is improved. Um, he mentions Washington. Uh, they've proved that they're a great team. Toronto, even though they've signed back um, Lowry and, and Ibaka, they traded away Carroll and Corey Joseph, but they did get C.J. Miles. So he kind of goes through the whole spiel of exactly what happened in the Eastern Conference. But he says, like, look... Um, there's been a commitment to one another, and the sky's the limit for this team, and you got to go for it. And that's we know Riley's not tanking, you know. So that's that's the whole idea here is that this team almost made the playoffs last year. Let's bring them back and go for it, right? Absolutely, um, and it makes sense too. I mean, I think that's a realistic thing. I, I've seen some people kind of look at Miami's offseason and uh, as a failure because one they didn't land Hayward, and because of the the kind of contracts they did issue to guys like. Uh, James Johnson and Waiters and, and Olenek, I think. Uh, the Johnson one in particular might be a little bit more concerning because of his age. But, I, I mean, you and I have talked about this before, and, and looking at this team, it seems like a realistic potential for them to reach the, the uh, one of the top four seeds. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. The regular season might mean less and less. But I think for this group in particular, considering what they went through last year, where they fell just short of the playoffs in the last game of the season, not through any fault of their own, um, but rather through other teams that had sat players and, and kind of gave away team, uh, you know, victories to to playoff contending teams. Um, you know, I, I think they're they're actively working towards this goal, and I think it's good to have that. It's not just enough to make the playoffs. It's let's fight for not necessarily Eastern Conference supremacy, but dominance. Let's be as good as we possibly can be, and and it's good to have that kind of chip on their shoulder. I mean, we talk about a guy like Deion Waiters, who's always been kind of looked at as. Uh, not necessarily living up to potential. Um, you got James Johnson, who's really, I guess, found a home here after years kind of being a journeyman and not really reaching his potential. He's taking his game to another level. That kind of gives him an incentive there. I think this team plays best. Maybe Olenek, I don't know enough about him personally, but 
I wonder whether or not he sees kind of being casually waved away by the, the, the Celtics as an incentive for him to prove that he can be a dominant player. Look, he, he does have a chip, you know, obviously he plays with an edge to him, which I think is partly why Miami signed him in the first place is they like that kind of winning willingness to throw down and, 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 and kind of, you know, rough people up a little bit as our, you know, Kelly Oubre uh, found out all, unfortunately during the playoffs. Um, so you think whether or not these, this is a team that again has something to prove, and it's it's nice to know that the Riley has that goal. He's laid it out for them, and and I think this is a team that's willing to to reach those kind of levels. So let's break it down here. I mean, Cleveland, Boston, Toronto, and Washington are the teams that are right they, like the top four teams in the East, right? Sure. And and although you could say the Bucks might be up there as well if they right. uh, they yeah. break right. Yeah, I think Miami, Milwaukee. I mean, everything, things have got to break right for Milwaukee. Jabari Parker is going to be out for a while. Um, right. You know, they've got to get the right kind of development. You know, Giannis is there, of course, and, and Middleton is a, is a really solid uh, two-guard there. Uh, but they've got to get development from their other spots. Thon McCurr, uh, does Brogdon take another step forward in his development? So I think Milwaukee, Miami, that's kind of that next tier of, guy, uh, of teams that we – expect to make the playoffs but probably not as good as those top four guys because just just because they don't have the all-stars that those that, that, that the top four teams in the east have and then philadelphia and charlotte too i mean you gotta throw them in the mix charlotte do, do they have a bounce back here right uh kimba walker took a big step forward last season the rest of the team right. didn't the rest of the team like seemingly took a step back absolutely so does can the rest of the hornets really catch up with him uh does dwight howard help in there does malik monk um give them that extra scoring punch that they needed. And then there's uh, Philadelphia, of course, if, if Embiid can stay healthy, Simmons coming back. We we can only guess to what the ceiling is for that team, but they're, they're at least in a conversation. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously there's a lot of questions. Um, no one knows exactly how everything is going to shake right. out, but I, I like Miami's chances. I really do. I, I don't – I'm not necessarily sold on Toronto – repeating as a great team i know canadians and raptors fans kind of think of them as being overlooked because of the their market and the fact that they're not necessarily in the you know they're not in the united states and so there's a little bit of uh there have been some conspiracy theories about the nba screwing over the raps and things of this sort but i think that's mostly overblown but i look at this roster DeRozan is a really good player but he's limited right i mean mm-hmm. does he have the capacity to continue to stretch the floor is Kyle Lowry going to bounce back from injury? Look, I love Lowry's game. I think he was argu- I mean, I think he was arguably their best player last season. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he had the, the plus minuses when he was on the court were by far the best on the team. But Lowry and DeRozan, they always they just don't play well in the postseason, and that's right. I don't know why. It's, there's nothing really like DeRozan's game. You would think would translate to the postseason, right? He's he he's one of the best throws. in the league at at creating his own shot and, like you said, right. getting to the line. I mean, he's a fine defender. He's not great. He's not bad. Like he's just kind of in the middle. But, but offensively, you think that that would translate, and his percentages are down in the playoffs. Lowry is just a shell of himself in the postseason for the last two years, and they don't really have the role players, right? Like Valanciunas regressed last year. Abaka wasn't, and I've talked about this before. He's never been any what people have thought he ha- he could be. He just isn't right. like that good. Everybody says he is. Um, Damari Carroll wasn't the guy that they thought he'd be. He wasn't the Le- Le- LeBron stopper they were hoping for. PJ Tucker didn't necessarily deliver in a way he's that they gone hoped. Anyway, yeah. yeah, and he's gone. Carroll's gone. Corey Joseph. Were, Corey Joseph is gone too. I mean, but uh, Joseph was a difference maker for San Antonio, 
And yeah. and he, as good as he was in Toronto, he wasn't a, the difference maker I think that they hoped he would be. He never really got better. He was just always just he was always just Corey Joseph, right? And you know maybe Norman Powell. I know you like him a lot, and I like him a lot too. Does he take a step up? Uh, C.J. Miles is a good shot maker for them, but he's not the defensive wing that that Tucker and Carroll were. Even though he's probably a better shot maker than those guys. Um, they're counting so they switched on switched out a couple of guys here. Yeah, they're counting on quite a bit of a development, yeah. and you know they've got a good G League team. Obviously, mm-hmm. Jerry Stackhouse is coaching them. They've won the the G League championship last season, so um, there's potential there. But they're they're counting on players taking another leap there. Pirtle, um, uh, yeah. Kabokolo, yeah. uh they've got, a, they've got a trade Valanciunas, I think, is the move. But I don't know who you trade a center like him to. Yeah, I mean, I think they were actively shopping him during the offseason, and nothing really panned out. Uh, you know, they had to unload Demar Cowro by by throwing in a first rounder and, and a cir- second rounder. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, in order for Brooklyn, yeah, you wrote about it, a great piece. By the way, check it out on on the setback. Uh, West writing about Brooklyn and how they're finally turning a corner there, thanks to the great work from Sean Marks. Remember, all these years ago when Sean Marks took that position, I told you I was a believer in Sean Marks. You did. We're starting to see it to come to fruition, so it's, it. it's nice to see. Then there's Washington too. I'm tempted. You know, you question Toronto's place in that top four, right? Can Miami? Yeah. Maybe Miami. Miami might have the continuity, the chip on their shoulder, and just the overall. Chem, like roster chemistry, team building, just th- that that Toronto doesn't have, right? Just because, like we said, DeRozan and Lowry, for whatever reason, their games haven't translated to the playoffs. I don't. We don't know if Miami's does, but let's say it did, right? Um, they could compete with Toronto. I I feel the same way with Washington. You know, who yeah. knows what John, John Wall, of course, denied um, the supermax that was offered to him. Who knows what his dedication is to that team right now? Bradley Beal, he took a step last year. Will he take another step this year? I don't know. Uh, Otto Porter, he just cashed in. How does that affect his game? And really, the rest of that roster is just meh, right? So yeah, I'm trying to think. What else do they? I'm sure I'm I'm forgetting somebody. Uh, Bogdanovich, she's there, right? I mean, yeah, no, no, they let they let him go, and then they did. That's right. In order to sign, you got Marcin Gortat. You got. Seventeen million dollars invested in the Ian Mahinmi. Just you got two okay centers. Like if those centers were getting paid like Zaza Pachulia, then you've got something. But they're getting paid like Hassan Whiteside, so you don't. Um, it's, it's just a Scott Brooks. You know, is, he's a fine coach. Like he turned that team around last year. But it's what is Scott Brooks's ceiling, right? Like we know he can put a team into the playoffs. That's what he did. So. I think Miami, look, they've got a coaching edge against every team in the East, in my opinion, and, and certainly people would argue other than Boston, right? Like you could even, if you, at, at the most conservative comparisons, you'd say that they, they break even at, as in coaching terms, right? But I would think Spolster is better than Brad Stevens, and I still do. But uh, Ty Lue is a hall monitor for the Cavaliers. Um, the Raptors, and and I don't know how Dwayne Casey is still there. And then you have Washington, who's, you know, you've got just a replacement-level head coach in Scott Brooks, right? So, yeah. you know, you you pair that roster that Miami has put together, the versatility that they have that teams like Washington and Toronto don't necessarily have, and then and then just the head coaching factor. I like Miami's chances. Yeah. 
And and speaking of liking chances, when it comes to versatility and overall great attitude, nothing beats our good friends over at SeatGeek. That's right, because SeatGeek makes it easy to buy tickets to the sports and concerts that you want to go to. Buying tickets is, is complicated. It's more complicated than it needs to be. There's a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. They're the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to the live events that you want to see. Their seamless mobile experience will get you the the best tickets with just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices. Fully guaranteed, there's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will help you get closer to the action for a great value. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way that I've found to shop for tickets. I could be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually just used SeatGeek to get tickets for, I don't know if I, I think I mentioned this on the last podcast, but I got Jack Johnson coming up. John Mayer. John Mayer. Yeah, I'm very excited about John Mayer. Completely my idea. I'm dragging my girlfriend to go see John Mayer. Um, Green Day's <laughs> coming up. Um, there was a concert that I was... Oh, Jimmy Eat World. I just saw them. Ooh. I got like a SeatGeek. So if you use SeatGeek, they send like alerts to your phone about uh, concerts that might be near you. And Jimmy Eat World is apparently going to be here, I think, in August or September. Might go see nice. them. Um, they've designed it to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. They save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find the best deals and to get the most bang for your buck. Seeky grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you could shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, our listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code LONBA today. That's promo code LONBA for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. You know, there's only another, there's only one other thing that we like talking about as much as SeatGeek, and that's Dion Waiters. <laughs> that's right. And apparently, Bet Riley likes to talk about Dion Waiters, and Dion Waiters. Also likes to talk about Deion Waiters. Oh, most definitely, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Does he like talking about Deion Waiters? And and I think you've got some interesting tidbits there from a, a recent interview he did with Colin Cowherd. So Waiters ranks himself in the top five shooting guards in the NBA. So he, he ranks James Harden number one. And you could argue Harden at this point to point guard. Maybe he goes back to shooting guard with Chris Paul's being the point guard there in Houston. Clay Thompson <laughs> at number two. Dwayne Wade at number three, a, shine of, uh, a sign of respect for Wade. Dwayne, uh, Deion Waiters putting himself right at number four, stepping right over DeMar DeRozan, who he puts at number five. He doesn't list CJ McCollum, Bradley Beal, Chris Middleton, Jimmy Butler, if you want to consider him a shooting guard, which I, you certainly could. Just Waiters, number four. What do you think about that? I mean, obviously, that's inaccurate, but... it's. Uh, I mean, it's it certainly makes sense, considering everything we know about Deion. He's not lacking confidence. It, it does. Um, it is funny though that we know that Waiters thinks he's the greatest thing that's ever graced the earth, right? <laughs> but he puts himself <laughs> at number four. Like he, it was, it was too much to put himself over Hard. It, it, you know, it would just been, it would have been too outlandish, I suppose, to put himself over Harden, Clay, and then he, and of course he reveres Dwayne Ray, Wade, right? That he was asked to, he asked his teammates to call him Kobe Wade at Syracuse. So right. he reveres Dwayne Wade. He would never put himself over Dwayne Wade, I, I guess. But he's like. But DeRozan's like, meh. Like, 
I mean, I think he, the way he looks at it is the, the the three people he lists above him probably have achieved more. You know, you've got potential MVP candidacy and Harden and clearly making that money. You know, he just got paid to. So that's that's a sign of respect around the league. Um, you know, he's got he's put up bigger numbers. Yeah. Clay's got a couple championships there. And, you know, I, I, I could say he's probably a better shooter than Dion Waiters. I don't know if Dion oh. thinks so, but. Uh, yeah, that's why I'm trying to think of it from Dion's well, perspective. Well, let me ask you where you would rank Waiters then, as far as shooting guards, and let's consider Harden a shooting guard, and let's let's. Uh, I, I let's can't. I can't Butler give an honest answer. answer. I can't give an honest answer because honestly, I don't think we've seen enough of Waiters to balance it out. Based on what we've seen, though, I would have him below Middleton. I'm a big Middleton fan. He was hurt last year. I think he's an underrated guy. I I don't. I'm not necessarily ranking these, but um, I'd say DeRozan is still. A better player just because he's a, a more you know obviously he's a higher volume scorer and you know more productive than Waiters has been, um, but maybe that's just the way that team is currently built. I wonder if if maybe those numbers drop. I'd still rank the Rosen higher than Waiters. Um, who were the other options there? I'm sorry, I'm drawing. I mean, if a you think about CJ McCollum, Bradley Beal, okay. Chris Middleton, Butler, McCollum, Butler, yeah, all of those guys I'd rank over Waiters at this point. But that's only because they've accomplished more. All of them have accomplished more than Waiters. But that's how you rank your your. I mean, that's how you rank yourself in the first place. It's like, oh, I mean, if if I had never written a word in in the first place, and then said, yeah, I mean, Lee Jenkins is pretty good. You know, a couple other guys here and there, but you got to put me fourth. You know, as far as the best writers of all time, it's like, well, you haven't really done much, so I don't know if you can necessarily merit that. But we'll see. I mean, Waiters, he's he's got the reins now, right? I mean, he's in a good situation. He's in a. A team where he's comfortable, he's not lacking confidence for any me, and and to me that's what speaks the most of his rankings. I mean, this is it, it's completely arbitrary, and there is in no way a world where Waiters right now is the fourth best shooting guard in the NBA. Could he get there? Possibly. Who knows? I mean, there's really the shooting guard position isn't is sort of one that's just sort of fallen off anyway, but. Um, what would it take? What would it take for people to consider him the fourth best? I mean, obviously, Wade an is probably too high. All-star game this year, twenty-five points a game, something like Ooh. that, right? Yeah, I mean, well, what if, how about a twenty-two points per game at forty-nine percent shooting, forty percent from three range, three-point range? That'd get him in the conversation. I mean, I think so. I think I, so. But Harden and Clay Thompson are one and two, regardless. Uh, Wade, I don't think a lot of people consider as a top five shooting guard. Maybe certainly not as high as three. I, I I think the consensus top five would be Harden, Clay, Butler, if you consider him a shooting guard, and then some sort of mix of McCollum, Beal, or Middleton, depending on your preference, right? Yeah. Oh, and yeah, DeRozan, and DeRozan. So sure. Um, Waiters is. I mean, there's a case to be made that Waiters is a top ten shooting guard in the NBA right now. Oh, I mean, I think that's more legitimate. Yeah. And again, it, you know, not a lot of production. He hasn't had that opportunity in Cleveland or in Oklahoma City. Uh, and, and and that ties in very well with what Riley mm. had to say about him in his recent conference. Uh, you know, he talked about Dion and everything he's achieved. And he spoke specifically about how he could improve as a player. One specific aspect, getting better at the free throw line, only shooting in the, in the 60 percent range he, he wants him to shoot a lot higher than that um and not only that but he also wants him to be a little bit more effective at the rim and most importantly just play more uh, he yeah. only played 46 games last year right uh, he wants him he's targeting him in between 70 to 75 games he made some comments about how back in the day you know players used to take a a certain level of of uh 
you know, they, they used to appreciate the fact that they could play a whole season, all 82 games. That's not going to happen anymore. You know, you know, much to Riley's chagrin, but he expects waiters to play for at least 70, 75 games, uh, you know, stay healthy. He had the way he described it, it was kind of interesting. I don't know if you noted that, but he talked about the way he, he was kind of hurt at the start of the season was because those were off season injuries that he wasn't doing enough to get his body into shape early in the season. And now that they've got a, a kind of fix on on Waiter's body type and, and and how he prefers being worked out, et cetera, that they've got a, a pretty good – they've got some confidence there that they can get him into even better shape this year than he was last season and, and I guess, hence make him a more durable player who could play for a lot more this season. And look, that's – that's the good news here, right? Is Waiters, last year, Waiters, that was a breakout season for him. He only played in 46 games. He signed his contract. But everything is sort of lined up here for him to have an even better season, despite last yeah. year being the breakout season. He's going to hopefully play more games, right? Uh, the, the easy things are what he needs to improve on. Easy might not be the right word, but the basic things, right? The free throw shooting, Finishing better at the rim, and that percentage was down largely because he was so bad at it in the beginning of the season. He got he progressed and got better as the season went along, especially as he got more and more healthy and, and got in better shape and got more lift on, on his finishes and things like that. Those are the things that are improving. I mean, and those were all improved with his conditioning and playing time and just and and comfortableness within the offense and all that right. stuff. I, I Next year is lined up for Waiters to have an even better season than last year, which if you're the Heat, that's what you're going to need to take that next step. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of people are looking at the contract and they think it's not necessarily a wise investment. But I think Miami Miami doesn't take a lot of risks without having the full scope of information available to them. And they feel comfortable enough having spent one year with Dion, seeing his personality up close, seeing his makeup and what drives him they feel like he's a worthy investment. And I think that's that look, we talked about it at the, you know, in the last off season, when he first signed with Miami, we thought that there was promise there. Obviously we were vindicated. He turned out to be a really solid player for, for those games that in which he did play. Um, there's always going to be that confidence there somewhat, maybe irrationally. So, but at the same time, we know that comes from his upbringing, the, the kind of life he had to live just to, to get out of the projects in the first place and make a name for himself, et cetera. Um, he had a hard, difficult life, and he's finally gotten to that point. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who gets very complacent. Uh, yeah. I would imagine he'll continue to build on what we saw last season. And again, with Miami structure, with their fitness program in place, and with a better understanding of what it takes to get Dion to that next level, I expect him to be the team's leading scorer. I, I'm with you 100%. I expect him to be Miami's best player next year. It's just... Yeah. We we often overlook how good he was defensively for the last two seasons. He was very he's a very good defensive wing. He could body up bigger guys than him because he's got absolutely strength. Um, there's there's no lack of motivation for Dion Waiters, right? The chip on his shoulder isn't going anywhere, regardless of what happens there. Um, we want to talk about Miami's small forward rotation, but first a quick reminder to make sure to check out the rest of what the Locked On Podcast Network has to offer, including David's Locked. David David Locks locked on NBA for all the great interviews with scouts, coaches, front office types, uh, journalists covering the NBA, insiders. Uh, David Locks got all of them on on the show. It's a really good listen. Make sure to subscribe there. Check out the Locked On NFL division with with the NFL season coming up. There's Locked On Miami Dolphins. If you're a Heat fan, you're probably a Dolphins fan. Um, so check them out. The Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right. 
So, Pat Riley was also asked about the situation at small forward. Barry Jackson presented basically three options. Um, and if he's comfortable with what he has at small forward with Winslow, Rodney Magruder, and Josh Richardson, Riley responded absolutely and also include James Johnson in there, right? So, yes. And then he, he said, wherever Coach Spo wants to take this positionless game, it sounded maybe he said a little tongue-in-cheek, maybe a little bit, but um, that's four options right there, right? Winslow Magruder, who started, Magruder, of course, started last year after Winslow got hurt after 18 games. Josh Richardson, whose season was up and down because of injury. And then James Johnson, who played mostly backup four, but as we've said on this podcast before, has played small forward in his career, has the size and the mobility to play small. There's really no reason why he shouldn't be able to play small forward. It's just, it's really what Eric Spolster wants to do. Does he want to bring James Johnson off the bench and, and bolster his second unit with him? Uh, have him lead that second unit? Does he, Do they view Winslow as ready to get go back into the starting unit? Um, there's a lot of factors here. How do you see How do you see it playing out right now? It's it's tough to determine. I, I'd say for, for start the season now, I would most likely put Winslow in at the starting uh, small forward. Um, I think Magruder showed that he could handle the position as well as he possibly could last year. He really, I think, overdid himself. And, and you know, there were points there where he just did not look good. As, as, as bulldogged as he is as a defender, as willing as he is to give up his body and go up against anybody in the league, and he really does have that – that mentality that he does, he's not afraid to go up against guys like Paul George or LeBron or anything like that. But we also saw him get victimized by players like that, particularly because of the size differential. Magruder, a, he's got a physical disadvantage that he can't help. Yeah, he, he's yeah. he's stockily built, but we you know we thought he might be a, a two guard at the start of the season. You have him going at, at this you know small forward position, and that means less and less in today's game. You're going up against guys who are stretch players. You have to switch a lot. All of a sudden, you get mixed up on a on a, a rangy four. I mean, you saw him going up against guys like Abaka, who's like six nine and built like a Mack truck. I mean, that's not exactly in Magruder's wheelhouse as far as what he can do defensively. So you'd want a guy like Winslow, who has the heft and the size to match up better with those players. But overall, I just think it speaks of the the, the roster Miami's built. It's one that exerts uh, uh, exudes a lot of versatility to mm-hmm. it. I mean, we, we talked about waiters. I'll never forget. Couple seasons ago, when he was still in the playoffs with Oklahoma City, and him being able to guard fours, I think he matched up very well against Draymond Green, and it was able to limit him. And this is a guy like Green, who's, you know, maybe, you know, he's as built as possible, and and he's, you know, maybe six seven, six eight. I think, uh, you know, he's he's undersized at the power four position, but he's still a load to handle because of his heft. And Waiters matched up really well with him, and uh, and you know, you got a lot of guys who can switch. Josh Richardson. I saw him in summer league in Orlando. He didn't look like he had put on much weight, which is unfortunate because you kind of do want him to be able to have a little bit more weight to him so he could handle bigger players. But he's a guy who can guard one through three, maybe even a four. Um, you know, Winslow obviously can guard probably one through five at this point. It's just it's a it's a good mix of talents and different size and switchability there. And I think uh, it's an interesting it's a, it'll be an interesting battle. But at this point, I'd have to give the nod to Winslow. What do you think? So when when everything kind of shaped up with the offseason finishing out, um, I tended to think with the signing of Olenek, it meant that they moved James Johnson to the small forward position. I mean, you think about what James Johnson does well. He is one of the few guys in the, that can go toe-to-toe with Kevin Durant and LeBron James, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he, he can defend them as credibly as anybody else in the league outside of Kawhi Leonard and Draymond Green, right? 
um, who are defensive player of the year candidates. Like he's got the body type, he's got the athleticism, and he's smart enough to, to defend those guys somewhat as as well as anybody can. So I don't. People tend to pigeonhole him into being a, a power forward or a stretch four, and I see no like he's a, a he played power forward last year with guard skills. Like he was the point forward. Why not just put him right in the middle at small forward there? I I'm not sure that's going to be the case anymore. I, and now I'm starting to agree with you a little bit. Where I, I think it's going to be Winslow starting at the three, and the reason I think that is because you start Winslow. And he becomes the de facto guy, just like in his rookie year, that just guards the best player on the other team, and that's the role that's carved out for him. It almost, you know, being bookended by four other quality starters there, it it would help him in his own development and kind of stay on one track there and just be, okay, let me just be the the hard-nosed defender, the big, versatile defender here who takes on the hardest assignment. And if I happen to make some threes or, or hit some jumpers, that's great. But everybody else is going to do that around me, so I don't need to worry about that so much. Where if he was on the backup unit, then, you know, like we saw last year when Dragic was off the floor at the beginning of the season, Winslow, still, Winslow started leading that second unit offense, and he didn't do so well at it. And a lot of the other parts of his game started to fall off, especially defensively. And, and James Johnson can handle that. James Johnson can handle being the guy on the second unit that just leads the offense and guards the best player on defense. He can handle that at this point in his career. Even though he's a better player than Winslow, I do tend to think, like, right now, if the season were to start today, Winslow would be the starter and James Johnson would be the backup just as your sixth man, and that would just be the role because he's so valuable in that role. And Winslow kind of struggled in that situation last year. But, look, this is a team that could play three bigs, so to speak, if you consider James Johnson a big with Olenek and Whiteside. They could play three bigs at a starting unit. They could play three guards. You know, you could put Magruder or Josh Richardson in the starting unit, and now you're playing a three-guard offense with Olenek and Whiteside um, in the front court. Or, like I said, you can put James Johnson in that three spot. I I think is going to experiment a lot with it and kind of... and, and as, he, as he's known to do with his rotations, right? He's going to experiment a lot and by... And we might have a couple of changing starting lineups as the season goes along. Yeah, you know, in our most recent podcast, I think it was one of our, our mailbags from earlier this week, I thought Olenek was likely to be the starter. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure anymore. Now that I think about it, I'm wondering whether or not Johnson starts. I mean, I know there's some good chemistry there with Tyler as mm-hmm. a secondary unit, but at the same time, I think the way Olenek is used, maybe they look at him more as a five and yeah. they kind of maybe bring Bam at a bio as a four or just not play him at all. Maybe have him spend some time in the D league or G league rather. I mean, there's a lot of different options there. I'm not quite sure how they'll shake out. Look, I mean, well, Carl White's still going to be a part of this team. At least as far as I can tell, he's shown some nice versatility during the summer league. And obviously it's just summer league, but I, I think he's a guy that you want to continue to have on your roster. That's another reason uh, why I think James Johnson plays a little bit more nominal three, right? And Riley even said, but it's all positionless. It's, it's so hard to just put players in these positions, but you you think about all the bigs Miami has. I mean, last year they were using Luke Babbitt as a forward, uh, as as a big man essentially. Sure. Uh, even though he's really a, a just a tall small forward who shoots threes, but you know if if you've already got James Johnson, Olynyk, and Whiteside, and you dra- and, and they've drafted Bam Adebayo, Adebayo, I keep saying that wrong. That's um, That's all figured out. Um. That's four, four big men that you've got to find rotation minutes for. And you're assuming Whiteside's been playing 35 minutes a game, 30 to 35 minutes a game. And Olenek has got to be playing 
25 minutes a game at least, right? And and you'd yeah. want James Johnson at, to get the most effective, effectiveness out of him to play something similar. And bam, you play him 10 minutes a game, something like that. There, there's just not, not not enough minutes unless you start giving James Johnson some of those small forward spots or minutes, right? I don't know. I'm trying to think about it now. I'm I'm, I'm seeing the the way that the roster might be configured. I mean, you've got <clears throat> perimeter shooting with Dragic and Waiters, right? And you also have playmaking ability from them. Mm-hmm. Now you're also looking to Winslow as a playmaker, but he also adds a lot of versatility on defense that you'd need out of the forward position. Whiteside is obviously set; it's, it's starting center. So as far as the starting power forward is concerned, I don't know. I mean, I mean do you want to waste the floor, right? Right, yeah, to make up for John, for Winslow's okay. lack of stretching the floor. So, that, but already in the starting lineup now, you've got two guys who don't spread the floor in Winslow and Whiteside. That's a lot in today's NBA. Good point. That and see, that's and that's the point why maybe you start Josh Johnson. Richardson. Uh, it's possible, right? It's po- yeah, maybe you're right. Magruder I mean, hit some threes last year. To, at, he was he was better than Winslow at it. Um, I think they'd rather go with Winslow and, and kind of push him and see what they get out of him because this is a make it or break it year for him. Yeah. I think the odd man out here is Magruder. Yeah, which is unfortunate considering mm-hmm. the, the everything that he's done. But look, they they, they shaped their contract situation specifically to, to keep him and Okaro on the roster. You know, there were questions about whether or not when they extended or made that offer to Kelly Olenek, whether or not that meant that we were going to lose Wayne Ellington, who obviously is, is a, you know, Riley's a big fan of his and his game. Um, but you, you might have to lose you know, Ellington. You might have to give up O'Carroll. You might have to give Rodney. They might uh, have to like trade trying to keep uh, Tyler Johnson at some point, right? And if that's the case. Yeah. I know this is totally off topic from what we're talking about Riley's comments, but the fact that you know, you you wrote about Brooklyn today. The fact that they didn't extend an offer to Contavious Caldwell Pope, it looks like they still have quite a bit of salary cap space available to them. Do you think they could accommodate a guy like Tyler Johnson? I mean, obviously there's some interest there from Sean Marks after he gave him that offer sheet in the first place last summer, and maybe that was just uh, some petty maneuvering there in order to to make the most of whatever they had available to them. Uh, maybe they had no real intention of signing him, you know, or they expected right. Riley to match that offer. I but. think they intended to sign him. And the the crazy thing about Tyler's contract is he's going to be the second, even after everybody that signed this year, Waiters, Olenek, uh, James Johnson, Tyler Johnson's going to be the second highest paid player on the team next season. Yeah, that's crazy. Behind Whiteside. Behind Whiteside only, right? That's even ahead of Goran Dragic, the guy that starts in front of him. Um, and arguably plays significantly better. Most certainly, I don't think it's even arguable. But um, it, they're in a weird position, and the other part of this is that, um, as it stands, they'd be about a little bit more than seven million over the cap, and that's without that's before extensions to Josh Richardson and Justice Winslow. It does seem to me that Tyler Johnson, if there's a deal out there, they might pull the trigger on it because. They've got a lot of guards, you know what I mean? They didn't. They matched Tyler Johnson, not expecting Deion Waiters to even be available at the time. Um, right. Wade, of course, left, but they knew that at the time of matching Tyler Johnson's contract. Um, Ronnie Magruder developed in a way that they probably didn't think, so now do you look, okay, Josh Richardson can take those backup point guard roles. James Johnson, Winslow, they could take some playmaking uh, uh, responsibilities. So you might not need Tyler Johnson as much. Like, this team likes Tyler Johnson. I just don't know that they like him as much as paying him as the second highest paid player on the team next year. 
So if there's a deal, and I think Brooklyn might be open to it, but the problem with Miami is they don't have the picks to attach, and they don't have the money because they spent all of their cash that they have available at trades to ship off Josh McRoberts. Right. Um, They've got no assets to attach to Tyler Johnson unless they attach another player, which, of course, you don't want to do. So Brooklyn's got to really like Tyler Johnson, and... He improved his score, his points per game by five points a game last last season between two years ago and last year. So he didn't show anything that would be worrisome for a, for a Nets team that already offered him fifty million dollars, right? So that's right. the if maybe Brooklyn is look they've got D'Angelo Russell, Jeremy Lin is I guess the backup point guard there, or maybe he starts alongside Russell. They figure it out. That's what, yeah, that's what. But either way, about. they need another guard, and Tyler Johnson would be a really good fit there if you look at the kind of guard that they would need, which would be somebody that could play both positions because you're not really sure how that whole backcourt is going to shake, shake out yet. Right. They're young. Yeah. They want guys to kind of figure themselves out there. It would be good for Tyler to get a – They saw get something more enough from him after two years to offer him $50 million. I don't think Tyler Johnson showed anything last year that should sway them from anything. Right? No, he'd buoy their confidence in him, if anything. I, yeah. He, he, yeah, I think he showed out enough – to warrant the the kind of offer that they extended to him in the first place. Now, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't think anybody wants to pay him 19 point something million dollars for, for mm-hmm. what he can do. And you wonder now that they've added waiters back to the team, whether or not he'll get even less playing time. I mean, look, Spolstra, look, it's a good problem to have, right? You have yeah. more options, but you also have to find the right flow and chemistry there between the right players, right units. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen Spolstra struggle with that at times. Uh, but I think he'll I'll figure it out. I, I, I like the fact that they're working together during the offseason, so he should have a pretty good grip of what to do. I suppose it's worth mentioning that Josh Richardson is up for an extension mm-hmm. on August 3rd, according to yeah, um, Albert Namad, who's a salary cap expert on Twitter. And they might try to see, as far as the allotment of minutes goes, right. they might be trying to see a lot of Josh Richardson early in the season, right, to determine whether or not they want to give him that extension and if they should start looking to trade Tyler Johnson by that trade deadline, which we learned today was moved to uh, before the All-Star break. Yeah, interesting. So a lot of things happening there. But uh, that's all we have for today, whether you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. You can send mailbag questions or get information about advertising on the show by sending an email to LockedOnEat at gmail.com. To support the show, make sure you download every episode and follow Locked on Heat on Twitter. And if you're not subscribed already, please do so to get the podcast automatically every day. Then go to iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes.